but, but quite literally, you're there. And <laughs> I can touch you. I, I'm not. No, I'm not allowed to. I'm Don't not going to. People think that we're sitting there having a cuddle on the sofa. Yeah, but if I was going to break the rules, I could touch you. You could, but we are. I, I had that urge today. It sounds a little weird thing. I had that urge, but when I came in, you were commentating, and you just—it's it, very hard not to. Because this is the first time I've been back at work since lockdown. It's the first time I've been seeing people I haven't seen for a while, and there's some people you just want to give them a hug, or or just what you normally would do and I think it's going to be really weird when this passes if it passes to go back to normal do, do you know what I mean are you a huggy person um I'm I like to hug when I see people I hate I hate all sorts of goodbyes to be honest I can't be bothered I'd rather just leave what do you mean you hate all sorts of goodbyes? I don't really like saying goodbye and going to go find people but oh, I must are say goodbye to someone that slopes off and you look around and you're gone yeah just go uh. I can't, I can't and then I just normally send a message being like, sorry, I was looking for you for a while, couldn't find yeah, you. But we know that's a lie. Well, you just left. Yeah. I say, yeah, but then I guess I'm the opposite. I start saying goodbye, and then I start talking, and then I keep saying goodbye, and then I say another goodbye, and about half an hour later I make it out. And it defeats the object of wanting to leave early because I've now left late. Exactly. It's exactly the trap that I don't want to fall into. Mm. So I just, uh, when I'm done... I just go, especially if it's a group of people. That's the, that's the problem, isn't it? Saying bye to all the people you've spoken to. I just say sorry, couldn't see you when I was. No, they don't know. It's fine. I do like hugging hello. I really, really like hugging hello. If I haven't seen somebody for a while, like that's a good moment. But hug goodbye is totally pointless. But it is weird. Uh, for example, so we are, as people listen to the pop will know, we're at the National Tennis Centre in London because it's the progress to a women's championships this week. Which yeah. We've been talking about what you're working on, and here today was. Great Britain's Fed Cup captain Anne Kiofevong and she was walking over the grass and we went to say hello and you automatically just want to have a hug and then you realise you can't and you sort of pull back it's just a, it's a very it's a very weird new normal that we now find ourselves in yeah it kind of feels cold doesn't it it does and I can't do the elbow thing no that's just, I, don't, yeah. I don't understand that I'd no. rather just not I just wave say I hi I just, just wave from a distance it's, it's but it, it has been well it's been great it's great to see you and do some work. We haven't, we haven't worked together yet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We've been on opposite ends of the schedule, as that, that always happens with us. Which is why the podcast is a bit late this week. Yeah. Because we plan to be on air together and then be off air together. But they keep us apart. But they keep us apart. I know. It happens everywhere we work. They keep it us apart. everywhere. <laughs> we, we might actually need to start looking into that. So we've been missing each other. I have done did the early shift a couple of days, came in a bit later today. What have you progressed to a women's championships how's it been how's yours been yeah it's been really good it's this is the first tournament that either of us have been on site for uh so seeing how all of the restrictions work it all seems to be absolutely fine there are lots of protocols it takes a little bit of adjusting to at first but i think it's pretty straightforward in the end really there aren't many people here this is a big site this is the whole national tennis center and no one's working here at the moment so um yeah i think everything's chugging along nicely and once the matches get underway you don't really notice a difference apart from sometimes it does take a little while for them to pick up the balls because they have to go and fetch them <laughs> but uh other than that um yeah been pretty smooth sailing it's quite eerie actually because it's the first time i've been here and we're currently sat in a big open plan office that would normally be full of people on a couple of levels there's no one here but there's yeah. been no one here all day yeah uh, there's been no one here for months no one see. And there is, when you come in, they take your temperature. But someone said that exercise reduces your temperature. So even if you're really ill and when you walk in, you have to wait a bit because your temperature will be lower. Oh. Is that right? Oh, I don't know. I mean, if you're going to that sort of effort, it's pretty, 
it's, yeah, it's pretty tough for them to kind of spot that, isn't it? Really? And, hi. and on my first day, I thought it was brilliant. So, you know, you come in and, and you sign in, my name is, and you get your accreditation. Yes. I was Gigi Fernandez. <laughs> <laughs> Can you see any similarity? Were they disappointed? <laughs> All right. Oh, <laughs> Gigi's coming here. This is exciting. With my rackets. Where are your rackets? You should have just taken it and just walked around, just strutting the name Gigi Fernandez. Yeah, it doesn't have a picture. It was just a name. So I, I, I said, no, I'm afraid that's not me. Oh. So it was. They didn't even give it. They took it away from me. Could have been signing autographs and all sorts. <laughs> yeah. To people who have never seen Gigi Fernandez in their life. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, temperature taken as you come in. Then you sign in just through contact details, your bits and pieces. I got Gigi Fernandez's pass. It's now. I've got the right one now. Oh, nice. I've got a different one now. Um, and then you, and there's a one-way system around the building. And depending on what zone you're allocated to, you use a certain toilet. I mean, it's it's fact. There's a COVID officer. He's a lovely man. Yeah, chat with him every day. A little co- who's brought in just for this week to make sure because a couple of things happen on once. So there's three courts individually fenced in action. I was leaving centre court, so we start the day and we do a little to camera. Hello, we're here. This is what's happening. So I left centre court, and a ball flew over from another court. And instinctively, I went down to get it. And as I was reaching down to get it, the player from the other side said, "Oh, thank you." And then I went, "No, I can't. I can't touch it." And she went, "No, you can't touch it." So there's this really <laughs> weird situation it. when I'm standing, looking. it looked like I was too precious to pick up a ball. I was standing with a ball at my feet, and the player had to come out of the court and pick it up. Yeah, it does hinder how helpful you can be to people. <laughs> sort yeah, of holding like doors open for people really should just get out of the way and just oh, move on. Yeah, it, all, all sorts of things. So, um, yeah, you, you kind of you have to be nice from a distance. But, yeah, it's a little bit colder. But... I don't know. It's not. It's not too much. To, I must say, it's not a, a huge kind of inconvenience. No, it's not at all. And it, and it works like clockwork here. The court. Anyone touches a chair, someone moves, someone's there immediately spraying it down, cleaning it. The next person comes in. There aren't, as you say, that many people around. Kyle Edmund's been here because he's been training here, so he's been here. We've seen a few of the other players who are working here allowed in, but largely. I mean, for my first experience at the National Tennis Centre, there's no one here. Oh, have you never been here before? No. Oh, what do you think? I really like, well, I like it it's nice and quiet. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's very nice on a day like today. The only other times you'll see it this quiet is probably during Wimbledon because uh, most of the staff tend to head down to SW19. It's really nice. I, I think it's, it's an absolutely wonderful setup to see the facilities that are available here. And I'm really enjoying the tournament so far. This, unfortunately, there were a few withdrawals. A just lot. Before it, <laughs> there were a lot of withdrawals <laughs> just before it started, and then we've, we've had a, a smattering of them throughout. But I haven't actually minded because it's been more of an imbalance in terms of you have a premier group that would have had people roughly in and around each other, and you've got quite a disparity now. You've got someone at 954, and you've got someone in that group who's reached 82 in the world in Katie Bolter. So you've got, but I don't mind saying that. I like the fact that someone at 954 is getting a chance to take on someone who's been top 100. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. There's definitely positives to take from it, but I would rather have a full field, <laughs> to be <laughs> honest. I would rather have everybody uh, who is able to play ready and, and, and willing. But uh, yeah, sometimes that's just the way it goes. For those players, though, I mean, the opportunity, you have a ranking that, isn't much to speak of in singles. Maybe you're focused more on doubles. There are a couple of players here who've decided that doubles is going to be their career path. You can make a really good living out of doubles, and that's what they've decided to do. But getting this opportunity on the singles... And how many times in a normal year could this kind of tournament happen? Because we've got half the people here at college in the US normally, so they wouldn't be around. Yeah, so 
I mean, we've had some British tour events on and as well as this, this progress tour, uh, which has happened and good amount of prize money, um, up for grabs for, um, all the players, for the guys, for the girls, just got the women here. Um, and actually if you're lower down, if you're looking at like 800, 500, 300, you've probably earned more money in the last three weeks <laughs> than you've ever earned before. We're talking about players who are not in Grand Slam qualifying because that's when the money really starts to rack up for players in terms of prize money. But they've just they've had no expenses. I mean, normally you are not winning that much cash back to back if you do well in couple of 25ks you know you're not winning thousands of pounds back to back in those weeks and you've got expenses of thousands of pounds whereas here you've got no expenses they either live nearby uh, or have somewhere to stay so they can stay here yeah right? or they, there's some some staying on Do you site have to pay to stay here is it like a hotel depends who you are yeah it's a pretty small fee it's pretty subsidized so um yeah so you, you don't really have any expenses playing lots of matches so it's actually working out to be really good for for those particular players but then something you pointed out that i hadn't thought about and we know that a raft of itf tournaments well they continue to be cancelled because we just don't know the situation in the world we know that the ones in america have gone in august so there are fewer events for the players to compete in there'll be players that don't want to travel to certain places in the world and you were making the point that that some of these players here who would normally get into certain ITF events, they're not going to get in because there aren't as many, the field's stronger, and so they're losing out on earning opportunities that they may have had before. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of players are going to be looking to their federations, if they're from countries with federations, and particularly if they have rich federations, to be putting on more of these money events. Now, somewhere like France and Germany already have a really great money tournament system. You get a lot of money. Um, they're really strong events as a consequence. So you get really good match practice there. And it's really helpful to kind of boost your earnings before then traveling again and going back out on tour. We don't have a very strong system in, the, in Britain. Uh, we never really have had too much of that. And we don't have a huge amount of professional tournaments either. So for these players, uh, really, I mean, look, we had those challenges that the the women's challenges, they were on the 100Ks, 125Ks, they were on scheduled to be in the States. So for the players that couldn't quite get into US Open main draws, so if you're in qualies or just below, you could play those tournaments in the States. They all got cancelled because things in the States are going from bad to worse. Then that left one challenger on its own in Thailand for that week, but then it would just become a bit ridiculous. So they cancelled that one because they thought it would be very unfair. Um, and it's... Uh, that's that's the difficulty is that for the players ranked sort of three or four hundred they'd be looking at getting into main draw of 25ks maybe something higher than that maybe a 60k i mean whichever they will put i'm sure they will be able to put on some of those tournaments the itf circuit events but they will be greatly reduced in number and they will be really really strong because if, if there's no qualifying at the US Open, then suddenly you've got everybody ranked from 115 down wanting to play in tournaments, whereas normally it'd be everybody ranked from 220 down. So that makes a massive difference if you've only got a few tournaments here and there on. So it might be the case, genuinely, for some of these players ranked, as I say, three, four, five hundred, they might be looking to play domestically for the rest of the year because is it worth going out to these tournaments you're going to have to beat top 200 players back to back and pick up a few points for each win it's uh you know is it worth spending all of that money when you potentially could be earning some money back back here let me ask you a question if i had a teenage daughter which i don't of about 14 15 and i said to, and she was good at tennis and i said to you 
US college route or the UK? Because from what I've listened to you learn this week and in preparation for this, I would go US all the way. Uh, I don't know if I'm just having this fairy tale version of what US college tennis is like and how amazing it is. But one thing from this week, mate, is that a better route to go? No. It's just a different route, I think. Um, I think it just depends who you are because it depends where you're at. So I would advise every player to keep the US college system open as an option because if you stop education, if you drop out of school, if you take prize money, all those sorts of things, you can't go. You're not allowed to go. I mean, take significant prize money. You can, t- you can take some prize money. But <laughs> if you're earning a profit already, then well done. But... Um, I would always keep your option open. You need to make the decision by seven, 17 ish, 17 and a half at the latest before you would go. Um, so, you, you know, you can, uh, you know, play really, you could play for a year or two kind of playing in what the, the, the ITF circuit. To going to the US in your, if you were doing sort of pros and cons list for me, what would be the pros to going US? Well, if you're somebody that wants to be a professional tennis player, they want to be a top 100, sort of Heather Watson. Katie Bolter, I'm naming all the Brits because we're in a bit of a Brit fest at the moment. So <laughs> why not? Johanna Conter, whatever it might be. Andy Murray. Anyone um, else? Dan we... Evans, Kyle Edmonds, Cam Norrie. Oh, Tim Hemmond. <laughs> <can't even. laughs> we really should have more players. <laughs> we should have way more than that, but that's all I've got so far. No, because this podcast gets quite dull if you just carry it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. But if you really wanted to be a professional player, then the benefits of going to college are delaying your start on the tour so if you're not mature enough so particularly for the guys they mature a little bit later physically and you might actually just need a couple more years of just you know getting the body ready getting the game ready and you can find some great coaches out in the states who are able to do that um what else can can we do of course you get to play in a team you get to enjoy your life a little bit before going on the road and we've talked about it many times but I don't think anybody loves the lifestyle of it being a tennis player. I mean, maybe David Ferrer loves the lifestyle of being a tennis player. But, you know, it's pretty tedious for a lot of people. I mean, unless you're lucky enough and you're right up at the top and you can bring your family along and all those sorts of things. I think every player talks about how in lockdown it's been nice because they've been able to spend some time at home. They would never normally do that. Um, Those sorts of things. So that it makes a big difference to actually maybe enjoy your tennis a little bit for a bit longer until you're ready you can always leave american college early you can take a year out and go and play professionally not accepting too much money and then you could come back if you go you know actually i'm not quite ready and you can come back and do let's say another year um so there are definitely those options available okay what are the negatives then because i'm all for signing up for the u.s system after that well the, another positive is of course the cash you know a lot of the time you can go on a scholarship you go. don't have to pay you don't have to pay a coach you don't have to pay a trainer you're going to have great physios great facilities you're going to travel around the states play great matches all of that Take expense negative. free negative negative why, playing would you, why would you why would you not send your child that route if they had that option why would you choose to stay here and not go there Wait, when you mean when you say stay here, do you mean go, play, play professionally full time? Just, just not go the US college route. You're at this stage where you can stay here and plough your way through in the UK and train here, whether you're educating or not. Or you can go. That just seems like a great way of blending your academic work, your tennis, playing in a team, travelling, having expenses paid for. It's really hard. 
it's a really hard route. I'm, I'm not going to lie. It, it's not easy. Like people view it as very much the secondary route. If you're not good enough to go straight to the pros, you can buy yourself some time going to college and it's almost like, okay, if it's for that second group of players. And there is some truth in that. You know, if you're top 100 at 16 years old, it's unlikely you're going to go to the States. You know, I know there are a couple of people who talk about that they might consider it like a CC Bellis always talked about it. But then shockingly, when push came to shove, she thought, well, actually, you can make some good money in tennis. I'm already pretty good. I know she's been injured a lot, but it's just as an example. So, you know, it, it is really a good route for for those sorts of players. But in, yeah, in terms of the negative, I mean, you're doing a full degree. You have to maintain your your GPA, your grade point average. Otherwise, you're not allowed to play the te- play tennis beyond the team because you're on a scholarship. You have responsibilities. You're also pretty much playing full-time tennis. You'll be training before school, after school. You're traveling every weekend to matches. You've got midweek matches. It is full on you know and then normally in the summer holidays you might go and play a few pro events and try your hand at that but it is an awful lot of work and for some people it can be a real shock to the system because it's one thing doing a full-time degree it's one thing basically playing full-time tennis Mm -hmm. these players pretty much have to do both some tennis players find it really difficult playing in a team others absolutely love it come alive and that's exactly what they need to reignite their their love of the sport it's also another positive that can come from going to college some people don't like that so much they they struggle much more um i think also i wouldn't say particularly but also it does broaden your horizons which is not a negative in any way but it makes people who are kind of thinking, I wonder if I'm good enough, start leaning towards, no, I'm probably probably going to go a different way. I mean, unless you're number one and you're winning NCAAs, um, like say Cam Norrie did, Paul Jubb, again, on the Brits. <laughs> We've had Battle of the Brits. <laughs> it's almost like no other players exist anymore <laughs> to well, me. Really doesn't. We're in lockdown. The focus is on home tournaments. If we were Americans doing this in America, it would just be everything that's taking place around us. Yeah, I know. I know. So I do apologise to our international listeners, of which we do have a few. You'll get to know the British players well. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, unless you're climbing right to the top of the tree of college tennis you're not necessarily going to be ready for the pros. There's no way you could be sort of a a, a mediocre or average tennis player out in the States in terms of the college system and then come into the pros and then burst through there because, you know, yes, the NCAA level is very high, but it's not as high as top 50 or top 100, if you know what I mean. So um, there's different routes for for different people. I also think one of the biggest reasons for not going, particularly with the women, because they start peaking a little bit earlier, is just that they're simply, like Cece Bellis, already making money, already very good. And, okay, I was no Cece Bellis, but by the time I was 17, I was already top 200 in Grand Sound qualifying. So there'd be no point or no reason for you to take that route? Because you were already at that stage that you didn't maybe need the extra time by going the college route. Yeah, exactly. It just showed that, you know, within a year of playing the circuit, like, I dealt with it quite well and kind of already yeah, moved yeah, through yeah. those rankings and it it was obvious that I was ready. Yeah. So for me, that deci- it wasn't really a decision. It almost wasn't talked about. It was just a, it was just obvious yeah, what I was going yeah. to do. It would have been madness, really, if I'd said I was uh, was going to college. So, um, yeah, but, I mean, there, there are lots of 
we, we hear a lot of great stories coming out of college and don't get me wrong I think it does marvellous things yeah. for a lot of people there are some people that really struggle there are players British players end up coming back after a year or even just a semester I've known that to happen uh, I know people that have just ended up going to the wrong college with the wrong coach or the wrong team and it's just not quite fit for them so I mean like anything I mean the States is a really big place there's lots of teams lots of coaches you could be really fortunate and get onto a, a great one or, or not so well I don't really have anything against them I don't really have much emotion attached to aeroplanes. <laughs> I'm not a fan of flying particularly because I just ugh, I just find it really dull. Just a lot of waiting, a lot of hanging around. I've done way too much flying for my age. <laughs> way too much flying. You've got a kind of haunted look in your eyes. Yeah, I'm just a bit over it, to be honest. We've been working with a friend of ours, Rob Curling, this week, who I didn't know has this passion for planes. But when I said plane, the first thing he did was tell me off because apparently you're not allowed to call it a plane. You have, <laughs> have to call it an aircraft. But I'm not going to say, I'm, I'm, I don't know, I'm going to Spain, I'm getting on an aircraft. I mean, who's, that's, no one says that, do they? It's an aeroplane. Yeah, but don't you ever say plane? Am I, uh, am I really in the wrong here? No, it's just a, it's just a shortening of it, isn't it? It's not the plane? official term. Come on, who doesn't say plane? I'm getting on a plane. Yeah, okay. Everyone. I say plane. <laughs> don't tell him. Uh, but I, I was just... Because <laughs> he, he said he's not a train spotter, but during commentary, some shots of aeroplanes as a plane came past and he knew what it was not as in i don't know british airways they can spot that a mile off but the size of it you can even know serial that i just i just don't really and a few people on social media were confused at my confusion and not really understanding love of planes yeah i can understand why people love it what planes yeah aeroplanes uh, <laughs> <laughs> um but it's just it's not for me i just i, I don't know there's a lot of them now. What is this, something like over 30,000 in the sky at any time? I mean, not right now, not but in general, general. there's quite a lot of planes yeah, in the sky. Yeah, but would you know one from another, like a, a whatever from a whatever? No. Exactly. Well, yeah, the big one. But You've got the big one and the <laughs> yeah. middle, medium one and the small one. And <laughs> the one with the propellers, don't go on that. No, no, I don't think I would. <laughs> and a helicopter. But you like numbers and, and digit. I was just, I was just fascinated because I just, I don't. Yeah, I just, a plane. At Do you like planes? That was your question to me. Do you like planes? No. Do you dislike planes? Um, I don't like flying. Yeah, see, it's different, isn't it? I don't really feel any particular way about planes. Do you know what does irritate me, though? Because seeing as he was picking us up on the language, is in the States, when you disembark, sometimes they say, can you deplane instead of disembark? Well, that upsets me. Don't you just get off? Yeah, oh, exactly. You're not about, you disembark. Have you ever turned to some? Did you turn to Ben and say, Ben, we're about to disembark? You just say we're going to get off the plane. Well, no, but disembark so that's is... Wrong. Get off the plane. I mean, that's all sorts of wrong. <laughs> but, but who says disembark? Most most people on planes say disembark. No, There's, but you're a person on a plane. You but, don't say I'm going to disembark. No, but the air stewards will always say we're going to disembark the aircraft. Do they? Yes. When? They never call it they a plane. They say we're landing. When do they say we're going to disembark the aircraft? Once you've landed and you need to get off. Yeah, but they say it's time to get off. <laughs> Not before it's landed. <laughs> you could just disembark. What are you talking about? We're at a thousand feet. So maybe I just don't listen enough once we land. So sorry, disembark? What do, what, no, what do they say in America? Deplane. 
I've never heard that. That's nonsense. I have never heard that. Our American listeners. No, I've never heard that. Okay, American listeners, I know you're out there. I want you to come in. Can you I've confirm that, that, that deplane happens? But is that within America? If that's, yes. If you're flying within America? Yes. But if you're flying from London and you land in America, they don't deplane you? I don't know. Maybe it changes when you cross the Atlantic. I think it's just an, an internal thing. Mm. I, I've never heard either. Well... If you are a wannabe tennis player, you better get used to flying. <laughs> and disembarking. <laughs> or deplaning. So, I, I want to ask you about uh, your blood plasma. Has it happened? Is it about to happen? The trial, the taking of it, the stealing of your blood Trials plasma. are still taking place. <laughs> um, it's been taken. It was... They ask you lots of questions before you even turn up. Firstly, have you had it? Do you think you've had it? And I said, well, I've had this antibody test, I've got it. Then you turn up and they ask you more questions. They ask you where you've travelled in the last 12 months. And due to getting on aircraft and working in tennis, I've been to a few places. And so I've been to the US Open, where apparently you can catch the Nile virus. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. But it's a big... And I said, Were they concerned about that? Well, yes. And I said, but I was only in Manhattan. I didn't think you'd get such a thing called the Nile virus in Manhattan. So they have this massive book. And so can you imagine if you were still playing... And you'd been to however many hundred countries in the last hundred days. You'd be there for hours. It's only a tiny box. Yeah. So when I reeled off, I think, four or five places. So then they have to have to find a vein. It's got to be a big vein. A lot of people get turned away at this point for lack of a good vein. Oh. So they were tapping it and looking. So they do a few other tests just to check you're fine. I made the mistake of saying I get a bit queasy when I see blood. And then two other people were called in wondering if it was going to be an issue. I passed everything. I got onto the chair. It's the biggest needle I've ever seen. Because, <laughs> because they take it out and they put it back in. Oh, why? Because well, they, t- they only want the plasma. They don't want your blood. So, oh. they, so they have a machine that draws your blood out and then returns it. And there's a bag that looks like it's full of kind of urine color. Yeah. That's the plasma. Yeah. Right? But then it goes back in again, which is why you need a good vein and a big needle. But So I'm lying on the bed and they lie you back. And they put my arm on a hot water bottle. They put the massive needle into apparently my lovely vein. So as it's, as it's drawing, I was having trouble. My blood was having trouble leaving my body. It didn't want to go. Okay. So I had to squeeze a little bit of cardboard in my right hand where the blood was coming from. Then she gave me a leaflet of exercises to do because we were still having problems. And once your blood slowed down, the machine starts an alarm. So the whole machine goes red and starts an alarm, at which point everyone in the room runs over and it says emergency blood drawing problem. So to stop that, you've got to keep the blood going. (laughs) So I had to squeeze a little cardboard thing in my right hand. Then I had some exercises. I had to clench my buttocks for five seconds, release my buttocks for 10 seconds. Wait, does that help with blood flow? (laughs) Apparently. Okay, I'm doing it now. So clench your buttocks for five seconds. Yeah. Release it. <laughs> you have to still breathe. <laughs> but at the same time, we're not finished yet. We're not very good at this, am While I? you're clenching and releasing, yeah. you have to lift first your left leg from the knee, put it down, while Ooh. clenching and releasing. And you have to lift your right leg from the knee and put it down. Then release, then lift both legs from the knee and put them down. While mm. clenching and releasing and squeezing the cardboard in your right hand. Challenging. I like it. Then, just to throw a little thing in, and they say women can multitask, they start talking to you. So every time lovely lady asks me a question, and we've all got masks on, and the noise is quite noisy, so she asks me a question, I don't know, uh, where do you live? 
I answer the question, the alarm starts going off because I'm not clenching my buttocks. What? How do they know? Well, because the alarm goes off, which means the blood has stopped coming out of my body. So the only way I look around, there's three other men in this room. No buttock clenching, no leg lifting, <laughs> I no mean. squeezing of cardboard. It's me literally clenching buttocks, lifting leg, lowering it, lifting other leg, lowering it. Anytime I spoke, the alarm went off. Two people came over, buttocks clenched, legs lifted. It was like interval training. And the other thing is, when the blood comes back, you have to stop. So you cannot move when the blood's coming back in your body. This sounds ridiculous. It's like a hit workout. This is. <laughs> were you exhausted? <laughs> I was. I was there for thirty-three minutes, and it was like, and it, you couldn't stop because they tell you on the leaflets, it's really relaxing. It can take up to an hour. You know, we'll look after you. There are snacks. You just and they looked after you. It was wonderful. But honest to God, literally, as it goes out, clench, release, lift, lower, squeeze. As it comes back, nothing. It's like uh, musical chairs. Music stops. Don't move. It's hard to do. It's like trying to pat your head and rub your belly exactly. at the same time difficult to so, do all those things and you're lying back in a chair and you've got all this blood sort of leaving and coming back so and someone has to so if anyone listening to this get someone to talk to you while you clench your buttocks release lift lower both legs they're both legs together that's too difficult why couldn't you just do it on like a, an exercise bike or something just sit on there turn the legs over keep the blood flowing that's actually. Good. I think there's too many. There's lots of tubes and things because the right. tube will come out your arm. I mean, they're taking mm. blood at the same time. It's not. It's it not doesn't like a sound like the most fun afternoon. But the thing is, I couldn't stop laughing because I looked around. I was the only one doing this, and literally, when the when the blood came back in, you had to stop. Otherwise, it's the alarm went off. The alarm went off so many times. They went, "You're doing really well." I'm like, "This I <laughs> doesn't was, sound like <laughs> it." <laughs> I was exhausted. At the end, this man came. He was lovely, and everyone there is so lovely. And the nurse working with me worked at the Nightingale Hospital, the big hospital they opened in in London to care for the patients, and they were so lovely. Saying, "You're doing so well. You're doing so well." This man came at the end and said, "I'm going to give you not one but two chocolate biscuits." Because I think you've earned it. Oh, it's like getting a little sticker as a kid. <laughs> Have a lollipop. Two chocolate biscuits. But I just thought that was, I mean, that was... Do you right, though. I mean, I mean, honestly, and I thought I was quite good at multitasking. As soon as I started talking, there's something about buttock clenching. And, and, and again, I don't know why that makes the blood flow. But there's actually a, a laminated card with the exercises on. So I was following. <laughs> <laughs> I was following the blood plasma, blood withdrawal exercises. That was exhausting. <laughs> really, it was, quite, it was quite a tiring day. Someone was talking to me the other day about tennis. It just, it just hasn't stopped in terms of... We're still waiting, I believe, end of July for the official kind of USTA Cincinnati US Open announcement. Yes. Because things are still in America. What's your gut feeling on that? I mean, it, look, it, it changes all the time. It goes up and down. I think the same with everybody. You speak to, a few weeks ago, everybody was feeling fairly positive when we were talked about the US Open and we were getting quite positive about it. And now we just kind of think, ah, it's a little bit difficult now. Um, my gut feeling, for what it's worth, I'm not an expert. I'm just guessing. But I kind of feel like the US Open kind of has to go ahead unless literally the state shut it down. Would you go as a player if you're playing now with how things are? No, I wouldn't. Even if you were a player who just crept in and it would be a massive payday? Uh, probably probably not, to be honest. I think potentially just kind of get ready for the clay. I don't know, it just, it, it's so 
it so depends. I mean, I think I don't think any players can make that decision right now. We haven't really seen anybody say, "Hands up, I'm out." Um, a couple of like Elena Svitolina has, has said, I, "My first tournament back is is Madrid." So if, if you yeah, a couple, but I think most are sort of waiting just to yeah. see because it changes so quickly over the last few weeks. It's dr- it's a dramatic change. Um, in terms of the lead up tournaments, I'm less confident about those actually going ahead. Mainly because if things were to go wrong there, then it would really jeopardise US Open, which they really, really need to happen. So, I don't know, it's a bit difficult. I, I, I watched it, sorry, I didn't watch anything. I read on uh, on Twitter, actually, uh, Dasha Gavrilova was, uh, was talking about it. A lot of players kind of saying, look, they should just not put the tournament on. They should just stop it. Things in America have got bad um, and this sort of thing. And Gavrilova came back and said, well... It, they're, they're giving us the decision as in they're saying it's okay to miss it you're not going to get yeah. penalised you can use your points from last year they're trying to, to, to do that they didn't have to do that mm. they could have said we think it's fine come play but they've been more than reasonable in, in that front I think and she was saying players just don't want to make the difficult decision themselves because they're going to feel like they're massively missing out if they don't go but if they do go they're going to feel very uncomfortable so it is a very difficult decision to make and I, I kind of see what she's saying like you don't have to go you really don't have to go but tennis players just have this sort of innate thing in them like if the tournament's on they just they have to be there they have to be Dominic there too. Well, Dominic he team. He will be there. He has to be Dominic team will be there. The, the amount of matches he's played in this period is is incredible. It's like he never stopped. I mean, it's, it's or he's <laughs> making up for time when he actually actually had to stop. Yeah. I mean, no, he he's a hundred percent going to be there. And I don't know. Will it lessen? We touched on this last. Does it lessen the tournament if they miss out on some big names? It's still a Grand Slam that's going ahead, and they will get some big names. The American players, for instance, Serena Williams. No reason for her not to be there. A, with what she's looking to achieve. It's a wonderful opportunity. And she's already in America. Yeah. I think... I don't know. I, d- I think it's really difficult to, to tell what's going to happen. I could... I wouldn't be surprised if we saw almost everybody going and just a few notable exceptions. I wouldn't be surprised if we had a massive chunk of the tournament not going. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if Washington goes ahead or if it gets cancelled. You know, it, it, it just almost every option that is possible is possible right now. You could just you just kind of have to wait and see how it plays out. I think when it comes to the players, they have to make their own individual decisions. If they're not comfortable going, I think the fact that the rankings have changed to be the way they are. And we should say in development from last week that the WTA have now matched the ATP in terms of what they're saying, this 22-month period that your rankings would count for, although there's a slight difference because... But it's no different to normal, but there's a difference between ATP and WTA because the ATP have said it's your best 18 events over this 22-month period. I'm talking very fast here. I'm out of breath. Do you have to go somewhere? Just hurry up. I really need the loo. That's the problem. The ATP uh, have said it's the best 18 events because they normally do the best 18 events across a 12-month period. And the WTA, it's 16 because it's normally 16. Do I need to repeat that for everyone slower? Do you think they got that? I'm just going to have a rest for a minute. Can they just slow down the pod? Yeah, exactly. So it just comes out. Yeah, exactly. And there there was news that sort of came out of, leaked out of China to say that in China they might say no that's it we're not going to put the events on this year it's just not worth the risk well was there some sort of announcement out there that there were no international sporting events for the rest of the year 
so, something like that I think and but that obviously doesn't bode very well for but then it was immediately no nothing's confirmed I mean there's, there's yeah. no conf- but that's very, Again, very damaging for the WTA Oh, I mean, that's their entire season, pretty much. Yeah. Um, again, I would say that I think anything is possible. I could I could see all of the tournaments going ahead. I could see some of them going ahead. I could see none of them going ahead. Really, I just, it, it's just too, it's just complete guesswork it's now. It's crazy. And then it comes down to how do you plan and prepare? I suppose a good thing for a few of the players, if they've decided that they're not going to America, they can prepare for clay. Yes, it might still not happen, but at least they know what they're preparing for. Yeah, I think so. And we've seen... Quite a few players. I mean, Nadal's still training on clay. Djokovic is training on clay. Um, so I don't know whether that means anything. There's plenty of time for them to get onto a hard Caroline court if they want to do. Been on clay. <laughs> oh, she's retired. <laughs> she's probably. <laughs> she's had a few months of retirement, and she's like, don't like this. She'll be back. Where's her and David Ferrer? Who's back? He's back with Sasha Zverev. Did would you ever have put them together in a million years? Uh, no. I, I'm I'm kind of sceptical about it. Uh, it. It depends. I mean, look, Zverev must be looking for something specific for his game because Ferrer hasn't coached. He's of course he's just come off the tour, so it must be to do with like it, you know it can't be sort of the real coaching ability as it were. I mean, Ferrer's got plenty of ability um, in terms of his playing, and he can transfer that knowledge. But they are very different players. You know, I could totally understand it if a David Ferrer got hired by a Simona Halep or something, because you're just kind of saying, "Hey, yeah. David, teach me how to be more like you," <laughs> and he go, "Great, <laughs> let's do it." Um, well, maybe that's what Ferrer wants. Not essentially in the game style but to be like a Ferrer that kind of terrier that that heart that is so full of tennis and can stay out there for I don't know maybe it's that side of the game he wants. yeah and maybe that is the this the specific thing that he is is looking for but it's not it, for me it's not an obvious match I mean David Ferrer is brilliant you know he's going to work as hard as possible does this mean he's back on tour again (laughs) (laughs) his poor family (laughs) or maybe maybe yeah exactly come on david you do love it actually (laughs) actually it was much better when you were out on tour just go back on tour for a little bit i think that was that's a real i'm not i'm Mm. i'm not saying i'm not saying oh this is awful it's not going to work it's just it's not something i would jump to um I don't see many similarities between him and the Zverev game. And as I say, with a player coming, a, a coach coming fresh off the tour, it you know, you're going to get David Ferrer, the player. You're not getting kind of David Ferrer, the experienced but coach. Maybe that, but that's, that's what he wants. He wants a bit of that David Ferrer, the player. As in then the great. Person, as in the mental side of things. Brilliant. I don't know if you can transfer that from one to another, but maybe that's what he's looking at because as you say game wise I mean that'd be ridiculous yeah and I I I totally get what you're saying on that and you're probably right but I (laughs) to be honest but I just kind of look at it and I think but David Ferrer has always been like that since he was probably six years old it's it's natural to him you can't teach it well no it's not that you can't teach it it's just that if you're somebody who you've always been like that it's very difficult to deal with your player who just can't grasp it or can't do it or maybe just goes away for a few games at a match. I mean, it just must be so frustrating. It's like it's like if Roger Federer was going to be your coach. You say, oh, you just come in, you play the half volley, you sneak to the net and then you just play this outrageous inside-out drop shot angle that I <laughs> kind of like to do. 
and you're standing there like well, I can't do any of that <laughs> and it, you know it can be quite difficult and you know, I've worked with coaches who are particularly good at something and they've been brought in to coach me who is utterly useless <laughs> and they haven't lasted very long because it's just been there's it's very difficult for them to necessarily articulate or understand why they're good at something they're just really good at that particular thing like for me it's very difficult to articulate my backhand for example because it's just a good shot i think we're locked in no have you ever been locked in at the national tennis no there's lots of people around no i'm not sure because i've just seen two fellas trying to get out and not but that's because they've just gone the wrong way this happened almost two years ago (laughs) when we locked in a commentary box at eastbourne yeah I think we're locked in at the National Tennis Centre. We're not locked in at the National Tennis Centre. Well, actually, you're a good person to be locked in with because those two guys are, are working here this week, so probably don't know the ins and outs. The, you, this, this only p- want to be locked in here with it's you, right? This place is a hotel. It has rooms. It's open 24 hours a day. <laughs> it's not. I'm sorry, actually. <laughs> you can leave and come whenever you want. It's fine. They just tried to go out the wrong way. Yeah, but they've come back and they attempt to go out the wrong way again. <laughs> <laughs> I will find I'm our way see. out. Look, the one thing I did do this week is I brought your. I finally brought your present from Australia. I know, and I loved it. Got a picture of it. Was it for me or was it for my dog? It was for you because if I bought a present well, for your dog, it would have been thinking that your dog might eat it. Well, my dog has claimed it and chew it. He, he won't. He won't eat it and chew it. Chew it. No, he won't chew it. Not, does he, he think it's a baby? His baby. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> they look a lot alike, but no, no. He 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 likes to just be near it. He just picks it up and carries it, and then sleeps near it. It's all right, isn't it? Dribbling on it. I mean, we should say at this point, it's a cuddly toy. It's not like an <laughs> iPhone or something. <laughs> Imagine if you got me some gift. Here's some earrings. Sven likes to sleep with the earrings. <laughs> just picks them up Carry them around. Them, move them. It's a cuddly it was, toy. Um, all proceeds for these cuddly toys were going to the bushfires in Australia. So that dog, not your dog, is made 100% out of recycled plastic bags. It's not a dog, it's a fox. No, it's a dog. No, it's a fox. No, you. No, it's a dog. Nah, I don't think no, so. I bought a dog. <laughs> it looks like it's a fox. Not a fox. I bought a dog. <laughs> this is exactly the conversation I have about my dog with people in the park. <laughs> it's but not it's a fox. fox. <laughs> it's not an Australian animal. And these are in this shop. It was all sort of indigenous Australian animals. Oh, it's oh. not a fox. It's a fox dog. It's, it's not a fox. Oh well. Ben has it anyway. <laughs> but I'm glad I could give it to you sort of six, seven months. Thank you. Late. Really appreciate now, it. Do you need the toilet? Because you're pacing around. Pretty much. Okay. <laughs> well, and when you come out, I'll be gone because we don't do goodbyes, do we? You don't like goodbyes. No, we can walk out together. Although I might get locked in, so I might need to come and find you. You need me to find our way out. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to wait. Okay. It's been fun, though. <laughs>